This is Everyday Leaders. I'm your host, Melanie Ake. Everyday Leaders is an inspirational show to help you develop strategies to overcome everyday obstacles in your life. Today's guest will share the disciplines that he practices every day that allows him to achieve a life of success. Today's Everyday Leader teaches us how important it is to stay true to your own journey and learn how to become disciplined in your daily habits. These lessons are ones that you too can apply every day to live your life with success. Dave Tyler is my guest today. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, show 45 starts now. Welcome to the program, Dave. Hi, Mel. Hey. <laughs> it's like old school, right? It's so cool. You're yeah. on Everyday Leaders show number 45. I'm almost to the end of my 50 and 50. Had to have you on here. We go way back high school, high school buds. I remember being yes. in some kind of a homecoming parade. I think we were class presidents together. <laughs> right. So, well, I was a uh, class, uh, actually, I was a class uh, secretary. I think you were the class president <laughs> uh, at the time. So I didn't know what I was doing back then. So Oh, my gosh. What memories. <laughs> good old Greenwood, Indiana. Great, good yes. Greenwood Woodman. Yes. And uh, so lot, lots of fun and lots of memories. But I wanted to have you on the program because you have done some tremendous things in your life as a leader. And I think you have a lot to share with people that can get inspired from your story and understand that there is always hope and that you can turn things around with just your attitude. And so thanks for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me. And yes, we, uh, we had a great uh, time in school growing up and especially those high school years. It was just a lot of great memories uh, for a lot of us. So I'm glad that we've been able to stay in contact all these years after the fact. <laughs> it's only been 20 years, so it's, <laughs> it's not been that long. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, we, we won't share all those stories, but, (laughs) but, but, uh, oh my goodness. But today, you know, we are actually recording this a little bit early than the release and it is Veterans Day. So first of all, I have to tell you, thank you for being a veteran. Thank you for your service, uh, because there are so many people in this world that don't experience what that's like. And I really want to get into, you know, what you did when you were young to make the decision to start serving others? Well, first, thank you for uh, allowing me on the program. And it is uh, my honor, actually, that I had the privilege to serve for uh, 20 years as active duty uh, with the Air Force. And uh, I've just been so blessed uh, with the people that I've met, the different cultures that I've encountered, and uh, just the different countries um, and the many of the uh, trips that I've been on on uh, for the military and even after the military um, in support of the military uh, through business. And um, I guess the start, uh, what happened was, is uh, really my senior year, I, uh, the beginning of it, um, I just, I, I wanted to go to college. You know, my heart was wanting to go to IU. and uh, Because that's where everybody uh, in Indiana goes, either IU or Purdue, right? Or Notre Dame. Right. That's kind of what we think about all the time. Yes, yes. And, uh, but you know, at the time, I really didn't want my parents to have to suffer through 
paying for college. My dad worked at the Ford Motor Company. Uh, my mom delivered flowers. And I just, even back then, the cost of college was, was expensive uh, for us. And uh, just one day um, in December of 1983, uh, I was walking through the front uh, lobby there by the gymnasium, the auditorium, and there were, uh, was an Air Force recruiter. And back in those days, uh, recruiters were allowed to camp out right there at the front doors, just inside the front doors. And uh, I'll never forget his name. His very uh, average name is so funny, Joe Smith, uh, <laughs> Staff Sergeant Joe Smith. Um, and uh, so he got to talking to me. I felt like he wasn't telling me any really fits. And so that led to him meeting my parents and talking. And so I went in that December. I went in through what's called the late enlistment program. And uh, so I knew basically as soon as I was uh, graduating uh, in May of 84, uh, I would head down to San Antonio, Texas to Lackland Air Force Base uh, for basic training in 1984. Now, my thought process was at that time, Okay, I'll do four years. I'll get out with the the GI Bill, but back GI Bill, but back then it was known as VEEP. Um, and so I thought, it doesn't matter. I'm going to come back in four years. I'll go to IU. You know, I'll be four years behind everybody. That was okay. Uh, but what happened was, is once I got through basic and through my advanced tech school uh, and my first duty assignment. I ended up never looking back. Uh, I just enjoyed my first duty assignment, which was uh, at Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina, and then just went there to England and then uh, to Missouri and then to Guam and then to uh, Maryland, uh, right outside of D.C., and uh, then uh, Illinois, a town called Belleville. The base was called Scott Air Force Base, uh, and that's where I retired out of uh, 20 years later in 2004. So uh, for a kid that just thought, I'm going to do my floor, get my GI Bill, come back home to Greenwood, go to school, and then go from there, uh, turned out quite different than what I originally thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So, so Dave Tyler, you know, as you think about where you were growing up, only child, and thinking about what you were going to do with your future before you met that recruiter, right, before that happened, Mm-hmm. What do you think if you had not had that one meeting? We would talk about the one thing that changes your life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think about that, what do you what do you believe in your heart? Would you have done? Would you gone to IU? No, at least not right away. I would have finished high school, of course, and I probably would have gone to uh, probably IUPUI. Uh, night school, I probably would have, you know, whatever job that I could find um, in work and go to school um, at night and just, you know, slug it out. That's um, what I thought in my mind mm-hmm. if this didn't work out in joining the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was fortunate enough that once I was eligible and, and passed at least to get through the delayed enlistment program, you know, my senior year, I was much more relaxed the rest of my senior year. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Well, and some of that responsibility, you know, I think what's interesting is I'm an only child, so I, I totally get where your, your mindset is in that responsibility. You know, it's kind of like yes. you don't have those siblings to kind of look up to or, or look after, mm-hmm. right? And so you're kind of right. thinking about what is my purpose and my path early, and you've got to figure out 
how to put that puzzle together, right? And so what, whatever it kind of yes. takes you into, you just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this path and then I'm going to see what becomes of it and I'm going to make the best of it, right? Yes, yes, because it was not like I, I did not come from an uh, immediate military family uh, on either side of my mom or uh, dad. Uh, now my mom's uncles, uh, they were uh, in the Army during World War II, and two of them uh, were uh, tank commanders. Uh, and then I just recently found out uh, this past uh, January uh, that my dad's uncle, uh, he was in uh, the Navy uh, as a, a pilot for the Navy. And so that has been really neat to find that out, that uh, I guess I do come from uh, a military family, but there was a uh, not a disconnect, but you know, my mom or my dad or anybody, uh, my uncles, no one was involved with the military uh, as I was growing up. So this was uh, new uh, for my dad and mom. And uh, of course, when I talked to my dad, he was uh, very on board with it. He thought that was a great alternative. He, he really didn't want me to work in a factory like himself and, and my other uncles. Uh, his phrase was, use your brains, not your bronze. So coming from a man that spent almost 40 years at uh, Ford Motor Company uh, on the assembly lines, uh, slugging steel around, I, as I grew older, I understood what exactly he was, he was talking about. He wanted a better way of life for me uh, that I wouldn't tear my body up like his was over the years. And uh, so, again, uh, you know, I was doing something that I thought was the best alternative uh, for my life and something that would give me purpose. I just didn't know how it was going to turn out at that time. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the law of design in these 15 laws of growth, and, and I teach that every week. And we go through it, and people say, oh, my gosh, I'm now at a different spot when I come back to this law. And and I think about you know where it says to maximize growth, you have to develop strategies. And so you know, thinking about having the responsibility young to say, I have to design this so that I can take care of and have this life that I am dreaming about, you know, now, now that I found mm-hmm. somebody to connect to maybe a dream or a goal or a path, right? And so it may not have been the answer. You may have, after four years, said, eh, you know, this was great. It gave me a great experience. But what you discovered is that it really, it tugged at your heart and you became, it really became your purpose, Yes, yes. Uh, the one goal that I always had, I always wanted to uh, get a college degree. And um, I was able to do that, of course, uh, going when I could uh, at night. Uh, and fortunate enough that the Air Force bases, military campuses, uh, had night school through certain colleges. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I graduated in 84, but uh, over the next eight years, in 1992, I was able to uh, receive my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And then um, the same thing with my master's uh, degree. I waited. I took some time off, of course, from that. But uh, I started in 2000, and, and right about the time I retired, I also graduated with my uh, master's degree. So I was able and to raise a family. And uh, so, again, the military just gave me such a great opportunity to grow and look at what I was doing and what my sense of purpose was. And then it was just over time, you know, manipulating or alternating what my purpose is, you know, really focusing on uh, 
how I could be a better person for those around me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about me in the beginning. Then it became about how can I influence others. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and we talk so much about stretching ourselves and becoming new people. And, and so when you came back the first time, after you've gone through basic training and, and you come back to Greenwood or you come back to Indiana and, and visit people, what was your perspective like when you, the first time that you came back? So I would say my perspective was, uh, of course, I was so glad to come back home and and see family and friends, and it just felt great uh, to be back and spend some time with them. Uh, But at the same time, on that very first visit, it was already a little different. Um, My friends, uh, you know, that were still there and, you know, enjoying their lives, I wasn't a part of that, I don't want to say click, but I wasn't part of that group anymore. So mm-hmm. I felt like a little bit of an outsider, uh, not in a bad way, just that's just the way things were. And as time went on, that continued to be the case. Now, I'm fortunate that after all these years, I'm still in contact with a few of my friends, you know, when I am able to come into town and, and visit, which I so dearly uh, appreciate. But yeah, that first visit was a little different because I had a different perspective uh, when I came back. It wasn't like I went down uh, to Florida for spring break vacation and then came back. I've been gone for uh, probably three or four months and I came home right at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a special time in itself. And uh, But yes, it, it was different just that, hey, things have changed a little bit here. They're not the way they were when we were in high school. Mm-hmm. Not bad, but just different mm-hmm. type thing. Well, that's such a transition, you know, and I and talk about kind of how you are influenced when you're young because as you make those decisions, it's not easy. It's really fearful. Uh, people have a lot of fears, should I say, because they're not sure. You know, I'm not sure of the path. I'm not sure of this decision. I'm not sure who's going to support me. I'm not sure of the friends that I'll keep or that I'll lose. Um, but part of it is you stretch in a way that you never can go back to that original person. You know, you've been changed. You've been exposed to different things that help you or are starting to help you understand more about, you know, kind of your own individual path. And I think what I like to talk about in this, because, you know, as only children, I connect to you because of being an only child. I understand your story. It's, it's searching for that, what is going to fulfill that space, right? Because there's not a, a lot of yes. other noise when you come home. There's not, you know, siblings, um, you know, activities or, or all, all this stuff, you know, that can happen in the background when you come home and you're like, oh, I have to give up what I do because there's someone else in this big family that needs me, right? And so it is right. kind of a different mindset when you really start wrapping your arms around it. Um, and so as you, as you kind of went through this, you know, and you're, you're giving up things, right? You're giving up those experiences, um, young of going through college with your buddies and being able to go to football games with your buddies. Right. And then being able to kind of be in, in those environments where some of them are getting married and some of them are, you know, um, just, just doing special things. And so as you think about trade-offs and, moving through now the four years and now, you know, now you look at 20 years and you're retiring. What do you feel like maybe, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but do you feel like there were some trade-offs that you made intentionally? Oh, I do. Um, As you said in the beginning, 
I think as an only child, because you don't have brothers and sisters, you know, the closest uh, that I had equivalent to that was, of course, my cousins, who we were all very uh, close and tight with each other. Um, and so they were like my brothers and sisters. Uh, but as you said, after the you go through 20 years of uh, enjoying the other cultures, uh, the other countries, uh, other parts of our own country, uh, and the people that you meet, I mean, you just meet so many different walks of life, uh, both in and out of the military, wherever your tour takes you. And so I would, I would say, you know, I would never trade in those 20 years for all the experiences that I, I went through. And being an only child, um, I know a lot of people, you know, they'll tease you and they say, oh, you're an only child and you're so spoiled and everything. Well, <laughs> um, if you lived in my house, uh, you would realize that you were, uh, in a, very loving but strict and fair home. And so uh, I was spoiled. And like I like to tell people, I was spoiled, but I was spoiled with a lot of love and care, not just for my mom and dad, but from my aunts and uncles and close friends of the family and everything. Um, and I know that that's something that I carried with me on my adventures and my travels mm-hmm. uh, was that when I met new people, um, I enjoyed getting to know them. Because they were, you know, they were different. They were bringing something different uh, to the table, as they say. And so I've always enjoyed that. I've just always enjoyed meeting different people from different areas and finding out what makes them tick, what, you know, what makes them who they are, Mm -hmm. you know. And you learn so much more, I believe, uh, when you're exposed to so many different types of people and so many different cultures. It just makes you then reflect and look at yourself and go, I want to be like that for the good things, you know, mm-hmm. and I hope that they're looking at me and thinking the same thing. You know, they they want to be like me. Mm-hmm. It's that whole awareness, you know, it's that level of awareness because you have the time and the um, the ability to really see kind of what, how your life is, is developing, right? And so being around yes. people that can influence you and help you grow, you're not kind of afraid of that. Once you took that first step, you know, it was, I'm, I'm going down this path and now everything that I do, if I'm going to stay in this after four years, I'm going to really learn a lot. I'm going to be able to travel. I'm going to be open to the possibilities of where this is going to take me. And, and that's a great leadership lesson because when we talk about, you know, leadership being influence and, and having the ability to allow yourself to have permission, right? Allowing yourself to have that permission to open up and let people influence you, right? Because <laughs> some people mm-hmm. uh, it's really difficult for. And so I think that's a great, um, you know, opportunity to kind of talk about that, what what you learned and who were the people that you most respect now looking back through that time in the military that were influencing you and helping you with your decisions? Well, one particular individual who's uh his name was uh, Chief Mass Sergeant uh, Bud Long. And uh, this was when I was uh, in uh, what we call long-haul radio. I was stationed over in England uh, at Royal Air Force Crowden. And I was there for three years. And uh, he was there for two of the three that I was there. And he was our superintendent. Uh, but he just was the most calm coolest guy and i don't mean walking around like he was cool just he never let anything in the station bother him he just 
he always seemed to know the right answers and know how to handle everybody, and he knew. But when he did have to speak to you uh, in a stern voice or, or see somebody behind the door in his office, you know, it wasn't a tongue lashing in the sense of like Sergeant Carter at Gomer Pyle on TV. <laughs> it was totally the opposite. And basically, when he would speak to you, you know, it would cut you. But it was, but again, it was with, uh, I don't want to say love, but it was something like that. Like he cared about us, is mm-hmm. probably what I'm trying to say. Uh, he wanted us to be our very best, you know, as as radio and satellite operators. Mm-hmm. But he cared about us because uh, we were there together overseas. And yes, it was England. It wasn't like we were in the middle of the desert. But still, you know, we, we don't have family, uh, you know, extended family with us over in England. And we were family. I mean, between all of us, our members and wives, if we were married. But um, he just had a huge influence on me to be the best that I could be, to stay calm, even when there's tough moments, um, working with your uh, fellow soldiers and airmen. And um, so he was the biggest influence, I'd say, in the military. Uh, Colonel Greg Clark, uh, this was my last uh, duty assignment at Scott Air Force Base. Um, He was our um, director. Uh, And again, he just had that wealth of experience, and he just knew how to talk with you. Uh, he accepted you no matter what your rank was. Um, and so that he just made you feel very important and that there was a purpose why you were there. And, and you know, he would come to you if there was a problem uh, work-related and we were trying to solve it. You know, he would let you speak. He wouldn't try to dictate, you know, conversation. He really wanted us to be empowered. Mm-hmm. And I think both gentlemen, that's what, by looking back, that's what they taught us, that hey, we want you to be empowered to make these decisions and guide us in what decisions they need to make overall as as a leader. And then I would just say, you know, even bad supervisors, you know, both the good and the bad, I say was was important because it taught you, or at least taught me, okay, I want to be like him or her. I don't want to be like him or her, you know, as you went through your career. You just, uh, you got the mixed match of supervisors and some were really good, in my opinion, and some were really bad. And you just waited it out, if you will, uh, until the next supervisor or you moved on to your next duty assignment mm-hmm. uh, type thing. But I would say the military itself, those two men had the greatest impact on me. Um, and now after the Air Force and being as a civilian working at Wright, uh, Patterson Air Force Base, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Four, uh, he was he's, he was our former director, and uh, just again, he was the kind of man that would let you do your job, let you come to him. If he had a question, you know, he didn't put you under pressure. You know, he just come to you like a normal person, mm-hmm. and that's just you know, you, that's a rarity that I think you find in true leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you talk about environment. You know, you had those two great influencers while you were in the military, and so when you come out, you know, that's the other thing. Like, I thrived in this environment because I knew my leaders. I trusted my leaders. They gave me, you know, a lot of confidence. And they they really reached out their heart, right? And and you connected to that. And then they, they backed you and they supported you. And so when you come in now as a civilian looking for that same, you know, that, that same mindset, that same attitude, it's not always easy to find. And, and I hear a lot of that from people that transition out of the military, that you have, in your mind, you've become so disciplined, so consistent, so, you know, on point with the things that have to Mm -hmm. be done. 
And so, and then, and then in a civilian environment, even though you know you're working at a base, um, but talk to me about how that's just, you know, still a little bit different, right? Because it's not, you're not paid through um, the same, or you're not, you're not off um, on an assignment. You get up every day, you live at home, like, <laughs> you know, it's different. Right, right. Well, I, I, I can share with you that because uh, the first 18 years, you know, mom and dad, they raised me, they influenced me, they, you know, they took care of me. And then the next 20 years, as I like to say, Uncle Sam took care of me, mm-hmm. you know, that he provided me, you know, a way of living, a professional career. Um, and it was just, it was an awesome 20 years. But as I got to my last uh, couple of years, knowing that retirement was uh, going to be coming up, I was a little nervous because, you know, now you're going to be a civilian. And I was not working for the government when I uh, retired, and it started with a company called SEIC in Washington, D.C. And so I had this extra pressure on myself uh, that I had put on myself that I wanted to do my very best, uh, that I didn't want to disappoint my new bosses, you know, the company and all that. Uh, because they have an old saying, if you're if your customer or your client isn't happy, your boss isn't happy, and then you're out of job. And so you have that that uh, pressure to want to be your best. And, you know, when I first started, I, I was, I was nervous about, you know, I'm going to really do my best. But, you know, over time, I just, it, quickly, it, it grew on me that I was enjoying this. I was enjoying that every day, getting up, supporting, and it happened to be the Air Force and the Navy uh, as a contractor for them. Uh, that I enjoyed because, you know, there was new problems. It was new. So, you know, and then you were trying to solve those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gave you a sense of purpose, uh, even as a contractor. So even though I was nervous at first, that quickly went away. And then I was just, you know, I felt empowered as a, as a contractor, uh, for the next, uh, six and a half, seven years, mm-hmm. uh, before I went on to the national institutes of health as a federal employee, uh, back in 2009. So I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so now what, what you're learning, you're uh, in charge of a team, right? And so now you have yes. to be, um, and we again, we talk about leadership as influence. And so what are you learning, you know, influencing others? Because it's not easy. People say, oh, it's a title. And, you know, you get coached and you have, um, you know, you have all your forms and your records. And so you you know, it, it's a management role and that's obviously what you're going to do because you've been trained to do this. But we know that leadership is, it's evolving. You're constantly learning about your team, about people, about how to inspire them. And so what was one of the biggest lessons that you you have learned or that you're learning as a leader? Uh, well, I will tell you, uh, looking back, so I had the privilege of being a supervisor in the military for quite a few years. Uh, and then there was a stretch both at the end of my military career um, and through my contractor days um, where I didn't supervise anybody. Uh, and then just in the last three years uh, with my current job, um, I've been a supervisor for anywhere from five to seven people. Uh, and I would say this, the, the number one thing I would say, in order to be successful uh, as far as yourself and the job and the mission, as we say uh, there at the base, it's building relationships, mm-hmm. building relationships not only 
with leadership, but with your troops and your colleagues. It's not just an up or down, but it's also a sideways uh, relationships that you need to build to be successful. And if the folks don't have confidence and trust in you, it's hard to, to complete that mission successfully. You can complete it, but at what cost? And um, so I've worked very hard at trying to maintain that relationship with them, a good working relationship, that trust, like Chief Long and Colonel Clark did with me, you know, that, hey, we're going to hit some road bumps along the way. Let's sit down. Let's talk it through. Let's find out, you know, what we can do to correct it and what's the game plan uh, for you to achieve and overcome that road bump and be successful. And it takes practice. It takes uh, time. It's just you don't become a leader overnight, as I learned over the years. Uh, and not everybody's made to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference, in my opinion, there is a difference between leading and managing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is two distinct different things. But they're both equally important. Mm-hmm. So when have you – give me an experience of when you were in a leadership role – and you had to more manage the process instead of leading the process. I think that's a big lesson. You said that, and I think it is a big lesson for us to talk about um, because a lot of people, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm a leader, right? <laughs> but managing mm-hmm. is as important, right? Managing the process. And if it doesn't get managed well, then you can't mm-hmm. lead, Right. And, right. and uh, right. so talk about that a little bit, because I know you, we've talked a lot offline <laughs> about the things that you, you've done. And, and so, I, but I think that message is really important for people to hear. Uh, so in my case, I would say that where I found out leadership and management differ is when it comes down to making the decisions. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, when you're making decisions, say, for um, your career field uh, throughout the states and the command there, um, that has an effect on the field, if you will. Uh, you know, when I think about managing, I think about, okay, managing, I'm managing uh, their leaves or vacation time, their sick time. I'm managing the records. Uh, I'm making sure that, you know, we attend whatever meetings we need to attend. I need to make sure that. Uh, they're meeting their job requirements uh, as we do their mid-year reviews and their appraisals. And to me, that's that's what a manager does. You're managing the people and the resources that you have. Mm-hmm. But leadership is when your folks are looking at you and they go, boss, so what's the decision? What is the process that we're doing? And I've learned that if you kind of stare back at them with a blank stare, you're going to lose them. If you continuously do that, or you always want to do the consensus uh, mode, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, you know, wanting consensus when you come to the decision. But sometimes uh, you get different opinion, difference mm-hmm. of opinions with your with your group, with my team. So then it comes back to it is still your decision. They're still looking at you to make that decision. And the thing that I've learned is they'll respect you more, even if you make a bad decision and you own up to it they'll still respect you as long as you own up to it. Now, if you make a decision and it's bad and then you, you know, blame somebody else or you roll other people, as they say, under the bus, you know, you're going to lose so much respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, if they see that you're making command decisions 
and you're living with them, they can live with it too. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you brought up a great point there is looking for people and understanding, right? So people that are just starting in their careers or people that are in their careers, looking at their bosses, right? In their work environment or on their school teams or on their, in their social clubs, right? You've always got people that are going to rise to the level of a leader. (laughs) And so there are things that they will do to inspire you, to, you know, help you, um, but not in a manipulative way, right? It's for the greater good of that group. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are Mm -hmm. times when they have to manage the process to be able to get everybody moved forward to the next level. And that's what great leaders do. You know, they can do both. They can inspire to get you motivated to get to that next step and and then navigate you through that process. And that's really, really, really important. And I think military here, you know, recording this on Veterans Day, it really brings home a message that everything that you learn is about this consistency and this um, this ability to serve others, seeing others' needs more than yours as a leader, and you take them through that process, and and they become part of, you know, your mission, your story, your history, right? Because you've you've taken right. you've taken them with you. And and so that's a lot of what um, you know, natural leadership is about is bringing everybody with you and and making that a journey. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I've done here recently, and thank you for that. I, and uh, you know, I didn't even realize uh, we were doing this on Veterans Day, even though we've already been talking about it uh, earlier today. But it's something that you said, and then it kind of made me think about. I shared with a young lieutenant who just came out of uh, ROTC uh, from the University of Minnesota earlier in the year, uh, and so supervising her, trying to lead her, uh, and like I said before, isn't always so easy uh, because she is so young and, you know, part of the millennial generation, as they say, uh, their thought process is different, thought process is different than us older veterans and uh, old curmudgeons, as we like to call each other. Um, but one of the things I've learned in my career and being a leader, and, and it's something that I've kind of just said to myself, I've not written anything on it per se in detail, but I call it the six L's of leadership. And what that is, is, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but basically what it is, is look, listen, learn, live, lead, and lean. And what I basically mean by that is, you know, when you come to a new environment, look around you, just, just kind of take it all in. You know, a lot of times some people will come into a new environment and boy, they're just on fire and they want to run things and they want to change things up. And that gets other people upset sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of maybe sometimes start off on the wrong foot. They, they have good intentions, great intentions, but sometimes it, it sometimes fall backwards. So I, as I explained to the lieutenant, you know, just look at your surroundings, look at who you're working with before you start to, you know, share your beliefs or your, you know, how things should be. Uh, the second one I said was listen. I tell you, sometimes we don't do enough listening. Um, I hear you, but I'm not listening. Um, and so that gets us in trouble as well. Wait, as, we do that you know, at home because we're married, right? <laughs> <laughs> That can so be used true. everywhere. <laughs> so very true. 
Right. Sorry, I had I had to say that. <laughs> no, no, right there with you. <laughs> so that kind of leads into my third thing about learn. You know, learning from that looking, listening, but then just but learning your environment, mm-hmm. learning the steps that you need to do to be a better officer, uh, a better technician, whatever your career field is. You know, to be the better professional, mm-hmm. um, and then go and live it. You know, once you've learned it. Go and live it. You know, if you're the hottest technician uh, working on the F-16, you know, do it. Don't don't be afraid, you know. Don't do anything to get yourself in trouble. But, you know, if you know how to work around the engine of an F-16, go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go through the rank or career, if you're talking civilian, um, you know, this is where the leadership, you take those experiences like Colonel Clark and Chief Longs of the world. Right. They've taken all those experiences and now they're leading and they've probably taken from both the good and the bad of previous uh, leaders and supervisors that they were under. And so you're just trying to carry this tradition on down. And so leadership can be very concise or be very broad, depending on you know who you are and what your career field is and what your personal life is. Mm-hmm. Now, the last one, lean. What I really mean by that is, is okay, after you're leading, it's more of that self-reflection, looking at yourself, looking around you, looking at your colleagues. What is it that you can do better? You know, get rid of, you know, in the, in the process improvement world, we call it waste. Get rid of the waste. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would say, you know, as that 6L lean. What are you doing, even though you're leading what are you doing to make it even better mm-hmm. after that? Well, and that can and be... so that's just so, something I kind of came up on my own. No, and it's, it's great because you can use all of those, Dave, in, in work, in career, in family, in friends, in, you know, hobby, whatever. Those are, that's a great process. And I just wrote this down here. So it's, it's uh, look, listen, learn, live, lead, lean. That's so great. Yes. That's so great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We can all take that away. <laughs> Stop, look, and listen. Look, listen, learn, well, live, lead, lean. I like it. Well, it took me 50 years to come up with that, but, you know, better better late than never, right? Well, and, and I think it is a process, and so you have to figure out, like, where you are. And, you know, so I, I really want to thank you for joining me because this is really a great message for people that are stuck right? Everybody that I, that I coach, you know, on some of our weekly calls, it seems like we're always in a state of transition where we're stuck in something. (laughs) It doesn't matter what it is. It could be something different from last week, but, but it's always that where are we? And even in this process, you know, are we stopping to look at, look, are we stopping to listen? Are we learning? Are we willing to learn, you know, or are we living into something that we believe in? And I think that's where it transitions. You, you start to understand and reflect, and then you start to believe in what your value is. And that's where you do those next three L's, right? You live, you lead, and then you lean into it. So what a great message. Right. right. Great message. And, you know, you don't have to be this firebrand leader. Um, another thing that I've learned is sometimes you can lead just through your actions. You don't have to be the guy or girl that's standing on the podium talking and leading the charge. Um, a lot of times, I, and I'm sure you've met these same type people in your career field, where they don't say a whole lot, but when they do, you know, it's like the old EF Hutton commercials. People turn and listen. 
Um, and, you know, so again, leadership doesn't have to be one set way of being a leader. And there's many different types of leading. In the uh, service, we call it servant leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably the biggest type of leadership that we promote, especially with the uh, enlisted corps uh, in the Air Force, you know, because we do serve our commissioned officers and uh, rest of the military services and everything. And so it's, you know, you serve, but you lead as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a delicate balance at times. Well, and, and what I've learned through a lot of my training, too, is that servant leadership, you know, and John Maxwell, he's, he's one of my biggest mentors, but talks about that servant leadership and that, you know, it's people that begin to, that they really connect to your heart before they ask for your hand to do anything. And so you're going to feel that connection, that power from them before they actually ask you to do a favor for them. It's not the favors first, right? <laughs> and then we'll see how it goes. It's all about, um, you know, really experiencing that connection of that person that really helps you believe that you can do something great together, right? And so that, yes. that is where the military, you know, the process of boot camp, they break you down to make you understand that you're all in this together. And, and so that's how it has to start. And, and through that training, so 20 years, you're retired, now you're in, in the civilian you know, workforce. And part of this is what you've learned is so great so that that you can share it with others. So what are you thinking about doing next? I don't want to leave this program without saying, okay, Dave, Tyler, what's, what's next in your life? What's going on? Well, I, uh, you know, as you know, I work out at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So I still as a federal civilian. So you know, I plan on, you know, staying there until I retire, um, which could be anywhere from uh, probably 10 to 15 years, um, if unless I win the lotto. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'd say the biggest thing I'm concentrating on is uh, just as you've heard the term legacy, as far as I'm a brand new grandfather, uh, since February, I'm going to be a grandfather again with one of my other daughters uh, next April. Uh and the, and the other thing on the personal side, that's, you know, what I'm looking forward to is just uh, spending time uh, with them and hopefully have a good positive influence uh, with them. But now as I'm here at work as an older civilian, uh, just trying to continue to mentor um, the folks that work for me, uh, especially the young ones, uh, the older gentlemen that work with me, uh, I love them to death. Uh, again, they're part of the old curmudgeon crew, right? Uh, you know, and we laugh about that. Uh, but the younger ones, they have such potential and energy. And so my goal is, is to get these folks promoted, get them into leadership courses, get them promoted to the next grades, uh, as civilians. Uh, because when you see somebody with great potential and a great attitude, um, you just, you want to reach out and help them, mm-hmm. you know, because people help me along the way. So I would like to return that favor. That's awesome. Forward, as it's say. so important. So many people may, you know, just forget to do that, right? It's, hey, that person's got a lot of energy or they they have the right mindset, but yeah, they've probably got somebody else helping them. And so it really is our responsibility. And I love how you have just kind of closed that out with, it is, it is something that we need to all be thinking of. We all need to pay attention to that. Because if someone has um, the energy around adding value, right, and servant leadership is all about adding value. And so you're speaking into how can you do that for others now to leave your legacy? 
And that's such a great attitude. That's such a great um, kind of process that you've learned through your life. And it is what we all hope to achieve, right? We all hope to get to the point where we can be thinking of others because that's where that's where life gives back to you, right? That's where the rewards come. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, my one of my other quotes that my dad uh, told me uh, that I remember growing up was, he said, you know, your reputation precedes you. Uh, and his, his point was, you know, if you were a liar or a thief uh, before, and even though maybe you've changed your lifestyle, uh, you have to work so much harder to prove uh, that you're not that anymore. And he said, so it's important from the get-go uh, that your reputation be the best uh, that it can. Because, you know, folks in general, it's just hard. Once they think, you know, you're a liar or a thief, it's hard to convince them that you're you're not. Mm-hmm. And so really that is such a true statement that your reputation, good or bad, does precede you, mm-hmm. you know, just depending on who is looking at you through what lenses, if you will. Mm-hmm. So true. So my my point being that uh, I would like for my legacy, you know, both on a professional and a personal level, you know, will always be that he did his best or he tried to do his best and that he was someone that people could come to uh, and that he always had, you know, a willing heart and a willing hand mm-hmm. to help people. Mm-hmm. Well, you sure do, Dave. And I want to thank you for being on Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, show 45. What a great lesson, lessons that you've taught us here tonight. And I really appreciate you being in a part of our life. And, and you know, the journey is not over yet. So uh, things that you're doing, no, it's, it's great to be connected. No, well, thank you for having me on the show. And yes, uh, I'm so glad that we've been able to stay in contact after all these years. And it's just a privilege to to be on here and um, waiting to see what other great things you do with uh, your leadership program. That's that's awesome. Well, thank you. And, and remember, March 2nd is the Leadership Summit in Indianapolis. So if you're available, um, we are building that agenda. So we'd love to have you as a part of that program if you are available. So think about that and I will get back to you um, soon. But uh, thank you very much on Veterans Day for spending it with us recording this podcast. And best of success to you, Dave. You too. And thank you for having me on tonight. All right. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit is coming to Indianapolis Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. Join me along with the 50 and 50 guest from Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. This exclusive event will take place at the beautiful New Fields Indianapolis Museum of Art on Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. You won't want to miss this one-of-a-kind leadership workshop where you will personally engage with these 50 leaders and learn how to apply their strategies to live your life with success. Don't miss this opportunity. You can be a part of this exclusive inaugural leadership summit here in Indianapolis, March 2nd, 2019. Remember, there's limited space available, so reserve your spot now. If you know of anyone that would be interested in sponsoring this exclusive event, 
please have them contact me directly at make at makeconnectionsforlife.com. Thank you for following the podcast of Everyday Leaders 50 and 50.